Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, Good morning and greetings in the name of Jesus Christ, our King. Greetings. It's good to be with the people of God today, amen. Yes. Pastor Mark and most of his family is in uh, Illinois this morning with the saints at, at Providence Church, so we lift them up and pray for them. We're glad to know that our brothers and sisters there and all around the world are worshiping the Lord and gathering as we are today. Our call to worship is the 27th Psalm today. I'm going to be preaching through Colossians chapter 3, the passage that you have been reading and hearing and memorizing uh, this month. And this, this passage reminds us to be setting our affection on things above, right? And so hear God's Word, this Psalm of David, the 27th Psalm. David wrote and sang this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise up against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord that I will seek after. Remember, Colossians says, seek after what? Things above. David said, one thing have I desired of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For in the time of trouble He shall hide me in His pavilion. In the secret of His tabernacle shall He hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock and now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou saidst, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path 
because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies. For false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and He shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Let us pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. Thank You for gathering us together today as Your people. I thank You for this psalm that reminds us, Father, that as we are to be thinking on and seeking things above, Lord, that sometimes this means thinking on things we have to wait for. Your Word tells us to wait on You. We are impatient. We long for problems to go away. We long for the day when we will have no more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain, no more death. We long for the day, Lord, when you appear and we shall appear with you in glory. Until then, Lord, we thank you that you have given us each other. We thank you you have given us Christ, who is the head of your church. We thank you that we can come today to gather with the intent of putting aside distractions, resting from our labors, and worshiping the one and only true God who made us, who holds all things together. And so we are grateful, we come humbly, we come gratefully, we come confidently as children come to a father, knowing that you hear us, knowing that you are with us, and knowing that you will be bringing grace to us today as we come to worship you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. stay standing just for a couple more moments. I'm going to read my text for today's sermon. It's actually our scripture passage from this month. I know you heard Tim read it, but I'd like to read it to you one more time in its entirety. This is Paul's letter to the Colossians chapter 3, the first 11 verses. Now hear God's word. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh upon the children of disobedience." in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, Barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, I am grateful for your word as we just heard read from 1 Peter. Your word will never fade away. The grass withers, the flower falls, but your word will abide and remain forever. We thank you for Jesus Christ, your Son, who is the word, the living word of God. 
Father, I pray, I know that there is much that you have for us in this portion of your holy word, and I just ask that you would please help me to think clearly and to speak your word correctly and accurately, to rightly divide it, that the saints of Foundation Church and any who would hear this, Lord, would be encouraged and inspired by the gospel, the good news of what Christ has done, who he is, and his finished work, and how we ought to then live in light of the gospel. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. My sermon today is called, Put on the New Man, which obviously comes from the end of that part of the passage. I preached to you a couple months ago, I think, on, uh, on the beginning of Colossians, the, the, the middle of chapter 1, and I told you if you were stranded somewhere on a desert island, this is one part of the scripture you'd really want to have. You remember that? Because it's so chock full of good doctrine, that first part of chapter 1. A, a quick overview of what we've learned. I know you've been reading and memorizing the passages in the first couple of chapters over the last six months. But Paul writes to this church in Colossae from prison. He's imprisoned in Rome. And he did not plant this church in Colossae as he did so many of the other churches that he wrote to. This church was founded by... Epaphras, who apparently heard the gospel maybe from Paul and went and planted this church in Colossae. So Paul has never met them. And he says in chapter 1, early on, remember he said, uh, for I would, yeah, I can't remember it now, but he, he talks about, uh, I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. He's saying, I've never seen you people, but I'm writing you this letter because I love you. I've heard good things about you from Epaphras. I pray for you. I've heard that you're strong in the faith, your steadfastness in Christ. He's edifying them. He's edifying Epaphras, their pastor. And then he instructs them in the doctrines of Christ in the middle of chapter 1. How Christ makes all things new. How he holds all things together. Remember? For by him all things were made, and by him all things consist. And he talks about how we were reconciled to the Father by the blood of Christ, by the blood of the cross. Paul is laboring as a minister of the gospel. He says a couple times, this church of which I am a minister. And he says the gospel is for not only Jews, but for Gentiles also. He spends a lot of the letter refuting these heresies and the false teaching that has come to them. Of Apparently, he's refuting some form of Gnosticism or asceticism, as I mentioned earlier. Gnosticism, meaning that all things fleshly and material are bad and evil and only spiritual things have value. Asceticism, kind of a, a takeoff of that, saying, because my flesh is of no value, I ought to deny my flesh, starve myself, deny myself any good thing, and that Christ, this will make Christ happy. You remember in the story of Martin Luther, he talks a lot about that, how he would beat himself and whip himself and starve himself, and the more he did that, the more miserable he was, and the meaner and more, more harsh God seemed to him. Until he read in Romans that the just shall live by faith. Paul refutes Gnosticism by saying clearly, in Christ, in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. There are many people saying, Christ, if, if the body is bad, if the flesh is bad, Christ couldn't possibly have had a, a, a real body. And Paul says He did have a real body. He was fully God. All the fullness of the Godhead dwelleth in Him bodily. So that's what came before this as we head into chapter 3. And as Paul does in so many of his epistles, after giving us all this good doctrine, reminding us and teaching us the truth, putting off heresy, then he's, he comes to the therefore. 
Now what do you do with this? Right? It's orthodoxy, right teaching, and it's orthopraxy, right living. Right believing and right living. So this is what he's coming to in chapter 3. And so the three things I want to talk about today briefly as we get into chapter 3 of the letter to the Colossians is three things. Setting our affection on heavenly things, on things above. Number two, putting to death earthly passions. And number three, putting on the new man. So there's a putting off and there's a putting on. And as God's chosen ones, there are things that are fit for us to put on. So let's just go verse by verse through this and try to understand better what Paul has for us. Any of you young people who have been working on, how many, how many have been working? I'm not going to ask you to stand up and say it, but who's been working on reading this and memorizing it? Okay. There's a lot of big words in this passage, aren't there? There's a lot of difficult things or words that we don't use very often. Right? Heath, does anyone in your house talk about evil concupiscence on a regular basis? This is not common vocabulary in the Cusel home. So uh, let, let's, try to, let's try to sift through this one verse at a time. Paul telling them, having been freed from the bondage of the ceremonial law and these laws of don't touch, don't taste, he says these things are all going to go away. That, that's the ceremonial law. That's been put out of gear by Christ. Put away these... these heresies of Gnosticism and asceticism. And so in verse 1 he says, if, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. And that word seek, that Greek word actually means earnestly seek, really actively be out pursuing, looking for it. Actively, earnestly seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection. And that phrase actually means it's a mental thing. Focus your mind, focus your energy, focus your thoughts on things above. So seek those things earnestly. Focus your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. So I'd like to talk for a minute about what does this mean. If I said to you, think on things above, what does that mean? You go, okay, God, floaty things in heaven. It's kind of, for me, that kind of, it's difficult to know what he's talking about. And he gives us some help. I'll give you some things that aren't mentioned specifically here. But I think part of what he's saying is focus on, focus on things that are eternal, not mortal. Focus on things that will not die, that will not pass away, rather than things that do. So here are some things that last. How about focusing on reunion with our loved ones? We all have... I think probably family members or loved ones who have died and gone to be with the Lord. That's something we ought to think about. To go and have a reunion with those people. We are not separated forever. It's only temporary. And we're going to see them in a little while, aren't we? That's something to think about. Something that lasts. How about our rewards? Pastor Mark correctly last week taught us from Scripture that there's nothing we can do to earn our way into heaven. But the Scripture is also clear that there are rewards for those based on the things we do. That's mentioned a number of times in the Scripture. So I don't understand. I, I can tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that when we go to heaven, some of us are going to be there and go, man, I, I mean, this is good, but Josh Narwhal, I didn't, he got better stuff than I did. You know, we're not going to be like bummed out, coveting uh, in heaven. It doesn't mean that, but somehow the Bible does say there will be greater rewards for those who have done greater things in their service to Christ. Okay, so reunions, rewards. How about looking forward to no pain or tears? 
If I asked for a show of hands, have you had pain or tears in your life in the last year? I think we'd all say, yeah, maybe especially in the last year or two. Our congregation seems to have, the Lord is doing something in us, bringing us pain, sickness, sorrow, death, suffering, pain. Looking at you, brother. Paul and I, I think, broke the record for, for pain, maybe. You know, maybe the others want to, want to vie with us for that title, but I don't know. I think Paul probably broke my record, but these things are ugly and they're horrible. And there will be a day when there will be no pain, no kidney stones, no headaches, no pains of childbirth, no death. That is something to think on, isn't it? Um, there are beautiful things in the world that we can set our affections on and we should, namely other people that have immortal souls, right? So our relationships certainly we should be thinking about. You know, music, the beauty of music, art, nature, God's creation, animals, uh, our spouse, our children. We should definitely have our affections set on these things, but Paul warns us against inordinate affections. Benj, is this a word common in your household? People talking about inordinate things? I've never used this word before, but it just means out of order. If we have inordinate affections, it means we're loving some things more than we ought to, maybe loving them more than God. Who would raise their hand and go, yeah, I love that more than God? I would raise my hand and say, it's wrong, but I've, I've loved things and I've loved people more than I love God sometimes. That is inordinate. That's out of order. And all of you, if you, if you have children, you look at your children. Your children look at your parents and, thinks, what, and think, what would I do if I didn't have them? I love them more than anything. You shouldn't love them more than anything. You should love God that way. But because God is invisible, Jeff read it in 1 Peter, because we have, though we haven't seen him, we love him. But it's, sometimes it's hard for us being finite creatures that are used to things we can sense. It's hard to love God and have our affection for him be greater than our affection for other people and other things that we love. I, was, I again faced death this week. My, one of my very best friends I've known for 35 years, a brother that I roomed with in college for four years. His wife is one that introduced me to Kirsten. We've been long friends. I've known their family many decades. And his father has been dying of uh, Parkinson's. And he texted me on Friday and said, Dad's in his last days. The hospice nurse is here. He's really taking a turn for the worse. And I said, well, I want to come see him. They live up in Powell. And... Um, so the boys had music lessons, and I thought, maybe I'll go after that. That'd be 4 or 5 o'clock. And then I got thinking, I don't know if I want to wait that long in traffic. And I said, I'm going to come up now. It was like 10 in the morning. So I got in my car, drove to Powell. I got to see him. He was, he was not responsive, but he was alive. And I talked to him, and I thanked him for getting me through college and buying me shoes and food. And this man was like a father figure to me. And um, Many of his children were there and the in-laws, and we sat and talked and got telling stories and people were laughing and just rejoicing in the life of this good man. And then I'm driving a couple hours later, my friend Phil, who wasn't there at that time, called me and I said, hey, I'm sorry I missed you up there. And he said, I don't know if you heard, but my dad just passed immediately after I left him. So there again, I, I thought of Vicki Goldsmith. I saw your dad, Heath, at Meyer. We're out, Karen and I were out shopping on Thursday, and here comes Danny Goldsmith, a big smile on his face and a big hug. And I said, hey, you're out of the house. That's great. How are things going? And he points over, and there's Vicki in the aisle next to him. So Karen and I went over and had a nice chance to talk with them. 
and she's suffering. She's, she's fighting, right? She's fighting for her life. So these things remind us. I'm not saying, boy, don't put your affection on grandma. Don't put your affection on your parents. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying I think Paul is telling us, hold on loosely to these things. Our lives on earth, yes, we'll be reunited with these people in heaven. But hold on loosely because you can't, you can't hold on to people forever. None of us are going to live forever in our bodies on earth. Amen? We will live forever with our glorified bodies in heaven. So, okay to love your animals, your art, your music, your parents, your children, your spouse. But think on things above and set your affections on things above. What sounds better to you? Eternity with God or the best of this life? And you go, oh, I'm in church. I know the answer to that question. Be honest with yourself. What really sounds better to you? Eternity with God or when you look at your children or you're enjoying, Luke's getting ready to go out to Yosemite, right? To see, to stand there and see those sights. It's probably breathtakingly beautiful. I've never been there. But I've been in the high Sierras up there in California. Some of the sights out there are absolutely incredible. And sometimes the things of this life, we would honestly say, if you were to take a lie detector test, we'd, we'd be found out and we'd go, man, I love things here. Man, it's beautiful here. And we tend to view God as a consolation prize. And so I want to encourage us to believe what the Bible says, that to live is Christ, but to die is not not quite as good. To die is gain. Far better to depart and be with Christ. One of the other things I think Paul means when he says, think on things above, is to think on things that you have to wait for. We tend to be, I'm the most impatient person in the church. I can tell you right now. I don't like to wait for things, but the things that we have to wait for are often the better things. Amen? And so I think Paul's telling us, don't fall into this trap of uh, of grabbing the things you can have right now and taking your eyes and your affections off of the things that we have to wait for for a little bit. I'll repeat what you read from First Peter, just uh, two verses of this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. And here's the great part. Our inheritance is imperishable. We are all perishable. Our bodies are perishable. Our inheritance, imperishable. Undefiled and unfading. Kept in heaven for you. So we should seek those things that have been purchased at so great a price. I read this in the call to worship. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after. Paul said, seek after things above. Here's what, here's what David said he was seeking after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Hebrews talks about, remember in chapter 11 in the, uh, the roll call of all the people who had great faith? And the author of Hebrews talks about those people. He says, for people who speak thus made it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire, and so too should we desire, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Who wants America to be better? We all do, right? We want to have better elected officials, better people leading us, 
godliness to break out in the land, Christianity to have a revival. I hope it happens. Maybe it will. But nations come and go. Empires come and go. Kingdoms come and go. They always have. If the Lord tarries, my guess is America probably goes too. I hope I'm wrong. I hope that there's a revival and that we turn back to God. But we're seeking a better country. Amen? That doesn't mean we want America to be better. It means we're seeking the country, the heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. The city we're going to is better than if you had all libertarian Republicans in office. It's even better than that. Puritan pastor John Owen said this. By the way, anybody ever read John Owen? Anybody ever understood John Owen? I've read John Owen. I, can't, I can raise my hand to the first one. But he's worth reading. It just it takes some effort. You go to a quiet place when your kids aren't you know, making noise. But he's, he's a beautiful brother, and the things he wrote are very, very profound. And here's one thing he said. We all profess that we are bound for heaven, immortality, and glory. But do we have any evidence that we really intend to go there? If all our thoughts are consumed about the trifles of this world, which we must leave behind us and have only occasional thoughts of things above. Is that you? That's me. Do you have only occasional thoughts of things above and we're consumed with the trifles of this world? And you go, this is the election that's more important than any election. Trifles of this world. What's going on in my house, my property, my cars? Trifles of this world. So seek earnestly and set your affection on things above. Paul says in verse 3, For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. We must die to Christ if we're going to rise again. The first verse says, If ye then be risen with Christ. If we're going to be risen with Him, we have to first die with Him. Galatians 6.14, Paul told that church, uh, quote, By which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. We have to be crucified to this world. Our life as a Christian is, when he says our life is hid with Christ, he doesn't mean hid in secrecy. He means hid in security. He's saying you're hid with Christ. He's got you. Nothing's going to take you away. Our life is out of danger. Do you know that? Your life is out of danger because you're hid with Christ. You're secure in Him, even though it may not appear so to us much of the time. Verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. I bet you've all read that verse. I bet you may have even memorized it. But have you really thought about what it means? It means we should be setting our affection on the day of Christ when he comes back. Christ is coming back, right? In a few minutes we're going to say, Christ is risen. Christ is dead. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. That's a part of our worship service when your voices should be loud and robust. It's not, Christ is dead, Christ is risen, Christ will... Christ is coming again. Amen? Let me give you a word picture of this. Uh, in a couple weeks when we get back from the Carolinas, we're, we're goofing off the whole month of August. The Cusals are we've been working hard. We're taking the month of August off. Um, I'm taking my boys two days after we get back to Cincinnati to see the tennis tournament down there at Kings Island. Uh, all the top players in the world are going to be there. I don't follow tennis a lot, but I know uh, that Roger Federer 
is probably the number one or number two player in the world again or still for 19 years 18 19 years he's been the number one player in the world off and on he's he's back he's 35 years old which is ancient for a professional athlete and he's still the number one or two best player in the world so i keep telling my boys maybe we'll get to see federer play so yesterday i was telling them i said can you imagine if we're there at the tournament and we see federer walk right by us with his tennis bag and all of his rackets and he stops and he looks at us and he sees some eager young tennis fans and he says hey boys and my boys say hey mr federer and he says you enjoying the tournament yeah he goes hey would you like one of my tennis balls yeah yes please you know i'm looking at him yes please so he gives him a ball and autographs it and i said what if he said hey you want to get a picture together what would they what would you say he'd go yeah so you get your picture with Roger Federer. Like, how cool would that be? When we meet someone famous, someone of some high exalted status, don't you want to get your picture taken with them? You remember my Steve Green story? Last December, we met Steve Green and had that incredible, providential, God-ordained encounter with him, a brother in the Lord, a good and godly man. And just being around him was so uplifting and so inspiring to us. And so I did the very natural thing. I talked to him and I said, can we get our picture taken with you? And there's us, me and Steve, you know, with my arm around him. And there's all my children, us and Steve Green. You want the picture to say, I know this guy. I hung out with Roger Federer for 20 seconds. I hung out with Steve Green. Steve and I talked. This is embarrassing. I still have the text on my phone from Steve Green. I'll never wash this phone because I have a text from Steve Green on my mobile phone. Well, if this is true of Roger Federer, and if it's true of Steve Green, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, when Christ comes back, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Wow. Us and our big brother, Jesus, together... You got something way better than knowing Roger Federer. You got something way better than hanging out with Steve Green at the Dutch Valley restaurant for 10 minutes. We're going to be appearing again with Christ. We tend to think because we know we're hid with Christ, but we think he's seated at the right hand of God and we're way down here. Don't think of us as being separated from him. We're not separated from him. We can't see him. And it seems like wherever he is, as far away, he's not. He's with us. The Spirit of God is in us. Right now, we are seated with Christ in heavenly places, in a sense. So, boy, if you want to think on things above, think of being with Christ. When you Think of when He comes back, how we're going to rise. If we've died in our earthly bodies by then, we're going to rise again out of the graves, and we're going to have glorified bodies, and we're going to be with Christ. And we won't even need a picture of it, because it's going to be there forever and ever and ever. So because we can lay hold of these eternal things, we ought to think and live differently. Verse 5 says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. What does that mean? What it means is, put to death what is earthly in you. As I'm going through this with my children yesterday, was it Mark? Was it you that said this? Mark said, hey dad, that's like the giant killer. We just finished listening to the audio of the lamplighter story, the giant killer. How many people know that story? Most of you? So if you don't know the story, it's about a noble knight named Phidus who's been sent on a quest from his king, kind of a, a god figure, 
And on this quest, he has to keep fighting giants. But the giants are things like sloth, hate. Um, what are the other ones? Pride, the giant pride, that's the last one. So the story is about we all have these sins in us that we have to slay. You have to slay the giant. That's exactly what Paul is telling the Colossians here. Slay your giants. Watch out for giant pride. Watch out for giant sloth. Watch out for the giant hate that will come from anger. So these are the members. These are our vices that are in us. And that's what Paul's telling us. The lust of the flesh. The lust of the love of the world. And he says, the wrath of God cometh upon the children of disobedience. Paul is not talking here about don't be bad or you're going to get punished. He's talking about the wrath of God that comes on unbelievers, on the reprobate. Now, yes, there's a warning for us there, but he's reminding us, look what happens to people. When my wrath comes upon them, the Bible says there's no condemnation now for us who are in Christ Jesus, right? Psalm 9 says, the Lord is known by the judgment he executes. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Psalm 711, God is angry with the wicked every day. That's not us. Yes, we sin, but when Paul says, the wrath of God cometh upon the children of disobedience, he's saying, those who are not God's people are going to suffer God's wrath. And it's a warning to us to keep out of the way of evildoers so as not to become like them. Okay, verse 7 in the which you walked some time when you lived in them. I want to make a quick comment here. So listen up, parents, and listen up, young people. Paul is telling these people, many of you lived in wickedness. You've lived in fornication, uncleanness, evil concupiscence, which just means lust. So if I ask the little children here, or ask the parents, have your children been dealing with evil lust? Have they been dealing with fornication? The answer is no. And I don't mean that your children aren't sinners. I mean to point out to us that as, as we are people of God's covenant and we bring children into the world, we believe, when we baptize our children here in the waters of baptism, we believe that they are Christians. Not that they're going to be Christians someday, but we baptize them because we believe they're Christians. They're children of the covenant. And as children grow up in the church and in the covenant of God, with God's covenant people, many of them do not have an experience like what Paul is talking about here. There are many of you who look back, these children that grow up, and they'll be able to say, I don't ever really remember fornicating. I don't ever really remember having these, doing, committing these horrible things. I'm not saying they don't sin. We all sin. I'm saying that we, we want to get out of our head this... Uh, this mentality that I think came out of the revival movement a couple hundred years ago that says every Christian, if you're a Christian, you have to look back to some point in time when you had some dramatic thing that you walked out of darkness and into light. Each of us needs to be brought out of the power of darkness and into the kingdom of the sun. But that might happen the day you're born. It might happen in the womb of your mother. It might happen when you're one year old. For many, many of us, in fact, it's normative that... God's children, the children growing up in the church would not look back and have a conversion experience. Do you know that? We're, it's so much part of the air that we breathe that many of us, some of your children might say, as they get older, say, Mom, Dad, I, I don't remember when I became a Christian. Does that mean I'm not a Christian? No, it doesn't mean that at all. It means you're a covenant child of God and you have known Christ your whole life. 
Now, I'm not telling you that's the case for sure for every person in here. You may be regenerate early or later. I'm just saying the way that most people have come to Christ in the last 2,000 years is by being children of believing parents. Amen? Amen. Praise God for missionaries. Praise God for people that talk to their neighbors and share the gospel. Praise God for people that bring their neighbors to church who are adults and have not heard the word of God, who need to be brought out of darkness and into light. But for many of you, it won't be that way. So put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not to one another. When we lie, we're speaking the language of the devil. We're not children of the devil anymore. We're children of God. And so we ought not to lie to one another. And then he wraps up with this. Put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of God, after the image of him that created him. Remember uh, Mark Hamilton's message two weeks ago? What did he talk about? Triple imputation. Adam's sin was imputed to us. Then our sin was imputed to Christ. And then Christ's righteousness was imputed to us. Remember how our brother taught us that? This is what Paul is saying. It's this idea he's giving us a word picture of clothing to say this sin that's been put on us Christ took it off of us and he wore our sin and he bore it at the cross. And then we get to take his righteousness and put it on us and we wear the robes of righteousness. So Paul's giving us this picture of putting off something and putting on something better. And he says, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free. I looked some of this up. And the barbar- that word barbarian seems to be talking about people. Remember, this is written in Greek. This is, there are Gentiles around. These are the people that couldn't speak Greek, the rougher, uneducated people. When we think barbarian, you th- I know what you're thinking. Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? Conan the Barbarian. Was that Arnold Schwarzenegger? I don't know. You're thinking of that kind of barbarian. This kind of barbarian is just saying the uneducated, the people that don't speak Greek. Okay. The Scythians were the worst of the barbarians, the people that lived on the Caspian Sea. So he's saying, yeah, those people that have come to Christ, whether you're bond or free, that, that word doulas, right? That's where we get the word doula from, the bond servant. If people have been indentured or slaves or servants, or you were not a slave, you were a wealthy person that might have had slaves. He says either way, whether you were barbarian, Scythian, circumcised, uncircumcised, Jew or Greek, this is, um, there's a word for this. I think it's called synecdoche. And that means when you use a small subset of something to represent the whole thing. Like when Jesus said uh, the law and the prophets, this sums up the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets means all the scripture, the whole Old Testament, right? So when Paul says, where there is neither Jew nor Greek, uncircumcised or circumcised, he's basically saying everybody. Barbarian, Scythian, bond, freemen, doesn't matter. Because of Christ, all those distinctions go away as we think on things above and of heavenly things. And when he says Christ is all, he's talking about the righteousness of Christ. The righteousness of Christ is all that we need. All right, so to summarize... Oh, and then he goes on. I'm not going to preach on this part, but he tells us what to put on. And that's next month's passage. Mercies, compassionate hearts, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing, forgiving one another, charity, love, gratitude, etc. So Paul's telling us, don't be Gnostics. 
Use your body and your senses to enjoy life and to love people, but don't love anyone or anything more than you love God. Secondly, he's telling us to seek those things and to set our hearts upon things that truly last. He's telling us to be more heavenly minded, to dream of when Christ comes again, because we're going to be appearing with him in glory. He's telling us to be giant killers. Not because doing so is going to cause God to like us any better, but rather because we want to be more like him that made us. And finally, he's telling us to take off our old garments. Those old clothes don't fit us anymore. Take off the old garments, put on the new garments, put on the righteousness of Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father, I thank you for this portion of your word. Thank you for reminding us that we didn't have to do anything to bring this about, that you did it all. That you have taken off our old, dirty, filthy rags, that we can put off the old man with his deeds. The things that in our sin, Lord, we, we would do, we still do them sometimes, Lord. Had we not been converted at an early age, we would have gone on to do horrible things. And Paul reminds us here in your word, Lord, that some of the people even lived that way for some time before you transferred them out of the the power of darkness and into the kingdom of your Son. So, Lord, thank you for reminding us of what Christ has done. May we live differently. May we think on things that last, things that are eternal. In Christ's name, amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.